Hello and welcome to Music Speaks. This podcast dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For the show, we usually have two co-hosts, myself, Hunter Sagona, and my friend, Sean Rimkunis, who's sitting with a, with a glow from the window by his face. Um, Sean and I believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music. We pride ourselves on building upon our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, and everything in between. Today we will sit down with my co-host, John Rimkunis, to discuss his love of the 1954 musical, Wonderful Town. With music by Leonard Bernstein and lyrics by the team of Comden and Green, a well-known team from the time period, the show premiered at the Al Hirschfeld Theater. Wonderful Town, according to Playbill, centers on Ruth, an aspiring writer, and Eileen, her prettier, aspiring actress younger sister, as they arrive in New York from Ohio in the 1930s and find frustration, career hopes, and romance in the city of their dreams. All right, and we are on with Sean. Sean, how are you? I am good, my friend. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully. And much like the show Wonderful Town, mm -hmm. um, the first song in it is the overture. As And as we talked about with a couple of other shows, you know, the overture is sort of like a big part of, of any musical. Right. And the first thing I want to ask you is what numbers make up this overture? That's a great question. Um, it starts out with the song Swing, which ironically is mm -hmm. two, so we didn't really get that until then. I believe from there we then get to Quiet Girl, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I then will make the joke about Come On Eileen, but that's not the real song. It's called uh, My Darling Eileen. <laughs> uh, we get to another ballad. I believe it's Ohio. Mm -hmm. And then we make our way all the way down to the wrong note rag, which I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about at that point. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, my second question about this, which, you know, we were actually talking about earlier, was mm -hmm. so many of the songs that he wrote for this show are in compound meter, which if you look at a lot of Broadway shows, a lot of the a lot of the numbers aren't usually in compound meter. There aren't too many composers I know who favor writing in the various compound meters. Why do you think he chooses to use them? He's too confident, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, he is so original. And mm -hmm. He does a lot of things really well. And a lot of singers say he's not the best writer for singers. Mm -hmm. and because he does these crazy things to them, especially like when we talk about the wrong note rag, it's really interesting the way that he writes these in the very in very um, savvy melodies, very also kind of like prolonged phrases. It's so interesting. Yeah. And, you know, if I don't, if you don't mind me mentioning um, sure. this real quickly, but um, I've gotten to play this this overture before. Mm -hmm. and, and something that's really interesting about this overture is that I think there is a um, there is a limited idea that orchestrators go into writing where they say, oh, we can only do this or this or this. <laughs> In this mm -hmm. overture, he uses every single thing he possibly can, which is interesting, you know? It, um, and, and just to sort of set up the musical, I wanted to sort of break down 
the pit itself. Sure. That's what yeah. Talking. Let's let's talk about some of the uh, the actual orchestration itself. So, what mm -hmm. are the instruments in this pit? Is it a large pit, a small pit? How diverse is it? Sure. I think it's really interesting because it's almost as a jazz ensemble combined with a chamber orchestra. Ah, interesting. Which is interesting. So the jazz ensemble really consists of four saxophones. And ironically, one of my friends, uh, she played bassoon on it as well, which is really interesting. But it sort of adds into the woodwind parts. You have those, right. you have three trombones, and you have four trumpets. One of the probably one of a show with four trumpets. I mean, un unbelievable. I mean, that much confidence is just kind of mm -hmm. is is probably very stirring. Um, and then you have you know a viola, um, you have a bass, you have your rhythm section, you have some other rhythmical aspects to the show that make it kind of funny. Um, but you also have the strings. You know, the strings add to the. It, it's almost where uh, it's kind of like um, Clifford Brown and strings. Where mm -hmm. they, they add in strings to jazz, um, and I believe they really play a role in sort of playing the beautiful, funny—not the funny, but maybe beautiful, um, very um, mel melodious and very just overall the surround of it. It's just—it's really beautiful sound, and um, it's really interesting how he puts it together because it works really well it, it, for. For a jazz ensemble and, and a chamber orchestra to meet together and to play the same kind of music, is it's, mm -hmm. it's insane, but it really does work well because there are separate parts that need to be heard at separate times in the show that really help depict what it actually sounds like. And I think it does help that way with sort of the coloration or the timbre of each individual movement or, or song. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, and, and, you know, something that's interesting about that, the jazz ensemble, not versus chamber orchestra, but um, in addition to a, a jazz ensemble, mm -hmm. is that Bernstein's music seems to be like one of those people who, uh, you know, his, his writing falls somewhere between classical and jazz. He's much like Gershwin in that way. So when you're trying to pin his style into a genre, I find it very difficult. Like there are some people who have, it's very clear they're writing for the theater mm -hmm. and you know, this is, it's a very theater sounding show, but mm -hmm. there is a lot of jazz elements to it, right? which we see in a lot of the songs, which is something that we'll talk about. Mm -hmm. So I find it interesting that he chooses those specific groupings of instruments. Mm -hmm. You know, it's interesting too. I'm not sure if you're familiar with his work mass by Bernstein. Um, but this individual work has various instruments and mm -hmm. it's really interesting because something that I learned about Bernstein is he'll make it work if he wants to, because he understands the way instruments work. And I think those composers that write well for instruments have the most success. Yeah. I think about the greats. You think about Stravinsky, who was able to use all different kinds of instruments to show different sort of flares for what they were able to do. Bernstein is a great name and people throw him around a lot because he, he was able to write so well for so many yeah. kinds of instruments. And it's very clear when a composer, and we've talked about this before, but it's clear when a composer doesn't know a specific instrument and doesn't write in the, uh, what's the word, in, in the niche of the instrument. Right, and it's just a lack of communication or a lack of understanding of what these instruments are capable of. But in the overture, he puts everything into this very small three-minute thing and 
you hear runs, you hear fast playing, you hear lyrical playing. All it's it's really interesting. It's like as a trumpet player, even I'm playing third trumpet on this piece, you get to play lyrically, you get to play with mutes, and you also get to play fast in a span of three minutes, which is basically all kinds of trumpet playing, all put into one small three movement section, which is unbelievable. And you learn so much yeah. from one small part. That is pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. And speaking of crazy, let's move on to song number two, which is called Christopher Street, sure. which is sung by the tour guide and the villagers. Mm -hmm. And my first question, uh, which has to do with the physical written aspect of the music. Oh, excuse me. I <laughs> I'm boring you already. Yeah, I was exactly, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, how does the, uh, you know, when he, when he wrote this piece, the piece is sort of split. It's written both in six, eight, and then in cut time. Mm -hmm. And how do you think the changing from cut time or, or from six, eight to cut time back and then back again, how do you think that helps convey the message of the song? What is the message of the song? I think it, it to sort of break it down, um, I, I envisioned the six, eight as a, this is what most people think of New York as this beautiful, shining, great city, mm -hmm. you know? But it then yeah. you go there and you're like, holy shit, this is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so in my mind, the six eight part, the rum papa, yum papa, it's it's just kind of very happy. And um the tourist is kind of like, look this way, look at the very nice clean alley here, and nothing mm -hmm. over there. You know, I think it's really interesting. That that's the way that that's perceived within music because you made a really great point earlier about the use of compound and the use of um, simple meters in music. Um, it doesn't have to be super complex to mm -hmm. understand what he's trying to do. It's just very it's simple, and then there's compound, right? The compound part should be the complex mm -hmm. part, but the compound part is basically just an accompaniment fig an accompaniment figure that's just going bum bum bum. Boom, boom, boom. But then when we get to the faster sections, we sort of really rely on faster, intense, and interesting rhythms. You know, it's really interesting. And, and something that we'll talk about through this musical is his use of hemiolas. He mm -hmm. loves hemiolas. Yes, there's a lot of that in here. And he uses it a lot because something that's really interesting is we sort of, again, play with that idea of calm and chaotic. And, and right. where is the line between the two? And I like thinking about it because we talked about it when we talked about West Side Story that he likes playing within those fine lines. Yeah. Uh, understanding where is that understanding of like what is chaotic versus what is calm, you know? Because we sometimes need to understand for ourselves what those actually, what those words actually mean because they're just words, you know? But we put them out there in the world, then we understand what we actually can see. And for the first time in the musical, we really understand the version of what we actually see versus what we think we see, you know, which is interesting. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because, you know, more people, it, this is sort of to your point, more mm -hmm. people think of compound meter as more complex sometimes. Mm -hmm. And in this context, it's actually the the simple one. Yeah. I, I don't mean a simple. I shouldn't say that because it's it sounds contrary. Uh, it's the right in front of you aspect, right? In this case, and then the two, you know, two, two, the cut time, the simple meter sounds more 
uh, like you said, chaotic, it sounds more complex when mm -hmm. usually most people would say, you know, the simple meters are the easy, quote unquote, easier ones. That's right. But it's conveying the more uh, chaotic part of the city. Right. And there's an almost part in the song where you hear these saxophones go, and, and that part always gets my blood running because it's so exciting. You know, and it's not even in 6-8. It's not even in a compound meter. It's just so fast. And it reminds me of just cars just going so fast down the street and people kind of missing those moments. Mm -hmm. like the Because it's, it's almost like the tourists and the tour person is sort of like, look over there, look over here, you know? And they're all missing these very intricate parts of New York City, which is really interesting. Um, mm -hmm. And... Um, Something I wrote down in my notes was um, it's really important to understand where beats land and when they don't. And something that Bernstein plays with a lot in this musical is understanding between where beats really land. And then... doesn't even feel like it's in two anymore. It feels like it's just taken off right. down the road, across the street, you know? And uh, as a um, as a person was, was said to me, you know, when we were working on this musical, this was actually his first draft for writing West Side Story. So as he was writing West Side Story, he was taking really? a lot of these different kinds of musical motives, and he used all of that stuff. And we'll talk about that as we continue on with a bunch of these songs. Um, he uses – it's almost like we've had that discussion about um, the Jet song, right? How right. crazy and fast it is and kind of insane, you know? It, it's almost at the point of crazy, you know? And where does he get that from, you know? His idea of New York City, you know? His idea of looking and thinking, you know? What it might be versus what it is, you know? And that's kind of the where he starts. And mm -hmm. I, it's actually pretty – it's almost kind of controversial too, you know, in a way where you're saying like, we all think of New York city as this great city to Bernstein. Bernstein's like, this is a crap hole, you know, <laughs> for lucky people who get to live there. It's great for those not really so lucky to live there. It's terrible. You know, mm -hmm. I think yeah. it's really interesting that he does that. And my other, my other question uh, about this particular song is, why do you think he chooses the random C flat on the word Greenwich? Mm. Because it's very, you know, it's, um, you know, like at, uh, section a there, I have, I have a, a little clipping from the score in the document we're looking at. Um, mm -hmm. if you want to take a look at it, sure. but it's like, it does, it obviously doesn't fit in the key signature and it sounds really out of place. It almost reminds me of like a honking horn somewhere like a car horn. Sure. I would also say he also uses it in Washington Square. Washington yeah, I, Square. Yes, exactly. It's that yeah. phrase. It's just the first time it shows up is on the word Greenwich. Right. If you if you don't mind me helping you break that down, um, sure. that's a great question because um, we do see one of our first accidentals in the score, and that first one um, we are in A flat major on your left, Washington Square, and then he moves to maybe a four where he sings, right in the heart of... And then as he gets to Greenwich, it's really interesting because the role of, of, that, of that line is actually he goes to a, um, an E major, E, e dominant 7, as you notice in the F flat in the bottom, a D 
a a flat also g sharp and then a b in the top and then he just what he does is then he just chromatically makes his way back down to e flat dominant seven which is the dominant of of the a flat which is really interesting so he he embellishes that note just a little bit to sort of to be like ah it, it's almost like um um, it's 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 that same sort of thing that John Williams does in that line of ba-da-dum, ba-da-dum, ba-da. and then what he's doing is he's just playing with sort of like upper neighbors and upper thirds, you know. But in this case, Bernstein is just going E flat, E E flat, A flat, and going from there, going C sol do, you know, in that way. And it's really interesting that he does that because it's it's almost it adds to that extra oomph as you were saying with Greenwich, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's and and you know it does paint a a visual picture, like I said, because as we've talked about in the first uh, what do you call it, the first couple of uh, sections in the overture, mm -hmm. he is. Uh, conveying this sense of like you mentioned chaos and throwing the random c flat in there which is not which as you just pointed out is not so random but to a mm -hmm. listener it might sound very out of place mm -hmm. it's that like okay you're walking along down the street mm -hmm. but then you know something's happening over there and we keep walking and we keep, mm -hmm. keep walking and look something's happening over there but we keep walking we keep walking yeah and then i just i love the pattern at 65 um that mm -hmm. really melodic where it, he throws in the uh, quarter note triplets and then the, he has the eighth note runs going on. And it's like you said before, he, ex he pl plays with extended phrases. It's definitely a lot. It's a phrase that's a lot longer than it should be. Yeah. Also check out measures. Um, let's see. 71, 72 measures, 73 and 74, the pickup to ba -da 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 -da, ba -da -da. he moves it over two two small eighth notes. You know, it's really interesting. It it almost adds to the intriguingness of it, and you see that also in the beginning too. And and you check out the lines of where these accents come in. You have it on the you have it on four, you have it on three, you have it on two, you have it on one. That is the definition of a hemiola. Right? Yeah, he's yeah, he's changing between the the simple and compound where the beat would fall. Right. It, it almost works where it just kind of falls in right on time. Where he kind of cuts the last phrase short, but he does it really well. Where he goes one two one two three da 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 da. It's really interesting. So the accents end up going. One, so if I can go faster, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, one, two, one, two, three, four, and then two, one. And, it right, it back where, on one. and then you get it back on one, which is really interesting. And you get those um, messages of, of three, one, uh, four, and one, and two, and three, and four, and one, and one, two, and three, and four, and one, and two, and three, and four, and one. It's so, it's so interesting, and it goes much faster, folks. I honestly have to listen to it. To understand what we're actually talking about, mm -hmm. but that's exactly what we're trying to say within that phrase because it's so intricate and it's so um, interesting and it's so in your face. But it's 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 it, it can be easily missable. But to the common to those musicians' ear, you can hear the 
the effect that he's trying to get, which is kind of like the, uh, it's kind of flying by with no moral compass. And that's what I think most people think of when they think of hemiolas is that there's no um, rule of keeping it in time. You know, it, I mean, keeping it in time, obviously, but placing it around the strong beats and the weak beats. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, that's very cool. Uh, moving on to song number three, we have Ooh. Ohio. Uh -huh. Yes, sung by Ruth and Eileen Sherwood, the sisters. Uh -huh. And, you know, this is a song that's clearly meant to be reminiscent. It's meant to be uh, mm -hmm. a thought back to, obviously, they're not in Ohio anymore. Nostalgic, yeah. Exactly, nostalgic. And what techniques in the song do you think he uses to try and convey the sense of Ohio? How does he paint us a picture of Ohio by just the music? I think it's interesting that right before this, we get to see New York and then we get to mm -hmm. see Ohio. Um, exactly. It's a contrast. It's a really nice way of, of selling, saying like, hey, here's a common state that is normal. And then you mm -hmm. come to this crap hole you know, <laughs> and, you're, and you're insane. Um, I want to mention one of my favorite lines or my favorite rhyming schemes that, um, that, uh, the writer, I believe um, his name uh, eludes me for a second, but the writer's um, lyrics by Betty Comden and Aldolf Green. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, they use the word Y-O. Y-O-Y-O. Y-O-Y-O to rhyme with the word Ohio. And it's really interesting um, that that is what they use to, to for, for, the, for the scheme of the song. Y-O-Y-O-Y-O. Why did we ever go? Why did we ever leave Ohio? You know, it's so interesting. Yeah. I'm thinking it's such a low key. I was gonna say you started that really low. <laughs> it's saying it's so low. <laughs> uh, it's so interesting that that's the way. Um, <laughs> it's it's interesting, and it's not. I don't really have a too much context with this one, but the only really noticeable thing that I would really say about this song is the the different pace. You know, it's slower, it's a little more hokier, you know, you might say, is that offensive to Ohioans? Not really, because it's not, it's simpler there. It's not as chaotic or insane in New York City. You know, you're fighting off the tens of thousands of people to get taxis every day. You're walking through streets and streets of traffic, you know, people are honking their horns at you. They want to go home, see their kids, you know. In Ohio, it is so relaxed and, um, uh... It is um, especially when we're talking about the, the 1930s. Exactly, and the song is just really lyrically beautiful. It's really fun. Um, it's not one of my favorite songs, but I think it really just does a really great job on just describing the atmosphere of Ohio. It's not really yeah. supposed to be like a great song. It's just sort of an idea of it's it's that sort of contrast as we were talking earlier about like what is life like in Ohio versus what life is like then, you know, and it's really interesting that we make those comparisons because then we understand where these girls are coming from, both Ruth and Eileen, because they come into this thing with not a lot of, you know, intuition. They want to, they want to, they want to, you know, Eileen wants to become an actress in New York city. Mm -hmm. mm, very hard. Yeah. Very hard and very different for someone who's not used to the environment. Exactly. Ruth wants to go into journalism. <laughs> in the yeah, biggest talk about a cutthroat business. Exactly. In the biggest cutthroat city in the entire world, right? Mm -hmm. It is insane. And 
I, I think it's funny that there's a there's a joke section where they're both talking to each other and sort of the frame of the song continues but they're talking to each other within the frame of the song and i was able to play that trumpet interlude with a um uh with a cup mute and it's really fast it's like and it's really fast and it's kind of like almost a joke of what they were singing and it, it it almost makes fun of Ohio in a way. Like it's kind of mm -hmm. like this this very bumpkin like city or place right. where they left and they said that they don't want to be there anymore. There's a place where they they miss it and then, then they talk about how much they hate it and then they go back to talking about how much they miss it. Right. So it's it's almost where it's really silly, but the trumpet interlude in the middle really brings out the jokey aspect of the song. And then mm -hmm. brings back to the really lyrical, um, like you were mentioning earlier, the very, you know, why, oh, why, oh, why, oh, oh. right? It's just really slow and hokey. And I think that's what he was going for, you know? Yeah. Which then transitions back into, you know, <laughs> less reminiscent and they're back <laughs> in their life in New York. And right. Ruth Eileen, the first mm -hmm. cadet, Violet and the Villagers sing, Conquering New York. Well, it's not really, I mean, it is a song song, but it's also, you know, it's, sure. you know. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. And my question is, and this really goes for the entire show, mm -hmm. most uh, most uh, composers in this time period would have written out rhythms and expected that the, the players would know how to play it. Mm -hmm. So this song uses swing rhythms mm -hmm. and he specifically notates mm -hmm. the swing rhythms to be like they, they're all uh, dotted eighth, sixteenth, dotted eighth, sixteenth, dotted eighth, sixteenth. Whereas you know a lot of composers at the time would have written out all eighth notes and just said play swing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Why mm -hmm. didn't he do that? Well, he's a very deliberate guy. Mm -hmm. I think when he's writing, and I don't, I think that makes a lot of sense that he would do that. He's very deliberate with his markings. Um, he would let you know if you were wrong. Uh, there's a really great recording out there of him berating a tenor for not singing the right tempo and the right lyrics. Oh God! And it's it's out there. There's there are videos of him arguing with players like that is not how to do that. I'm looking at my score, and my score says this, and. In that way, I'm sure he was sort of like, this is how I imagine it. And um, in my mind, uh, Hunter, I believe that this movement is sort of like an NYC interlude mm -hmm. where we get the the chance where we get to see Ruth in the Ruth and Eileen in the big city facing their adversity. And it's almost again like we get that compare and contrast sort of thing again within Ohio. And then we get to go, we go straight back to New York. It is right in their faces right. um there are a really a, there, there there's a lot of really great um moments you know um there's a lot of really um i wanted because there's a great clarinet solo in there too it really does feature the the orchestra a lot really really well and um i almost thought it was very stravinsky-esque very kind of like almost um as we were talking yes to, that's um, a good way of putting it it's almost where it's like very cultish, cultish, but that's New York City though, <laughs> where it's like very intense, very focused. Um, and I, I love that so much. And um, 
and 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 back to that idea of where is the beat where mm-hmm. is it? it it bounces around so much it doesn't we can't really rely on it ever you know and there's a really great idea of like what we can really see and is <laughs> a moment at the end of the song where um they sing maybe you better go home and where have we heard that song before ohio right yeah it's really interesting that he brings that back because all the people are singing it at them because they're like you're not ready for this life because it's hustle and bustle and crazy and right it, and um, the title of the musical, Wonderful Town, it's kind of a parody in itself that it's making fun of New York City. Like, is New York City a, a wonderful town? Not really. It's not really great. And there's a lot of really great moments where there's a lot of great dance moments. Um, and I keep thinking about this one and the, the dance of the village vortex because that one's also kind of in my mind too. But there's a lot of really great orchestra moments in this movement where like i remember doing this song specifically so many times because it was just us and mm-hmm. there was movement you know and the movement yeah. would, imp- would be informed by the dance but the dance was informed by the crazy ass music that bernstein wrote right which is insane i don't know how they would ever learn something like this very it was so strange and uh, I remember when I did it, they brought in the original choreographer for the Broadway musical, which is insane. And I really? remember her being really, she said she was really young when she did it. She was very, very lucky. She was very, very young and, and she had done it. Oh, she, she had done it before, actually. She was in the show when she did it, you know, and she was very young. Oh, really? Her. Yeah. And she said that it was so hard because it was everywhere. You know, there were so many different parts and, it almost, like I said earlier, with that Stravinsky aspect, it's kind of like crazy, you know? It's just all over the place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, that might, you know, that that clearly adds to why it's such a dissonant piece. I mean, the, you know, there's not, I mean, there's harmony in it, obviously, but it's not your typical harmony. Like you said, it's, it is Stravinsky-esque, especially in that he's playing with all these crazy uh, clashing seconds and... Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it does convey this sense of harshness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so, too. It really does play into what New York City is all about. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a little frightening. It kind <laughs> of like takes a mirror and says, New York City, this is what you are. And New York looks back and sees a pile of garbage, and they say, what? No, I'm kidding. Mm-hmm. New York City is a beautiful place, but according to Bernstein, not really great in the 1930s. No. No, I imagine not. No. And then we move on to the character of Ruth, and she sings 100 Easy Ways, and the full title being 100 Easy Ways to Lose a Man. Yeah. And this song, it, it's a, I mean, it's clearly a comedic number. I mean, it's not meant to be hugely serious, but yeah. it's a highly repetitive one. Like the, the chorus and the, the melody, it comes back over and over again quite a few times. Yeah. Do you think that's supposed to be reflective of her sentiments at this point? Yes, absolutely. This is what she believes, and Ruth is a very stern woman. She mm-hmm. is very harsh with her beliefs. She mm-hmm. is very strong and actually very funny, too. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, very honest, and very open about how she feels about things. 
Um, this number is lyrically hilarious. Mm -hmm. So many great moments in this number. Yeah, and some of the librettoed sections, you know, the, the dialogue spoken between the, uh, what do you call it, between some of the stanzas are, like you said, very funny. I mean, you're reading it, and I actually, I was listening to it, and I actually laughed out loud to myself a couple times. Yeah. Because it, it's just, it's funny. Yeah. It's so, it, it is, yeah. And mm -hmm. I, like I said, the repetitiveness of it, I think, just goes to show, like, I mean, she's talking about, she'd write this book a hundred easy ways. Um, if you don't so mind, of course, saying, do you mind if I add one more? Yeah, go ahead. I just wanted to say there's a really interesting part where we get to talk about expectation versus reality, mm -hmm. you know, for a man, the man's mm -hmm. expectation of a woman in the 1930s, a woman's right. expectation versus her man's reality, you know? Right. And we, we see this again with a lot of Bernstein stuff where, is it really that funny? Like the girl wants to be smart, but has to be dumb for the guy, you know? Right. It's really not that, it's not that funny, but he's making fun of it because it's ridiculous. He's parodying. That's exactly what it is. Right. It's a parody. He's being sarcastic. Right. And it's really interesting that he does it that way because what's another um, instance where Bernstein does that? Let's think about Officer Crumpke. We talked about that yeah. a few weeks ago about how, he does that and changes the expectations of, of societal norms. Um, this one doesn't have a lot of interestingly musical content, but lyrically it is fascinating in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now the next song, since you mentioned Officer Krupke, the next song is called What a Waste. That's right. And it's sung by Robert Baker and the associate editors. That's right. And... The A section of this song really reminds me a lot of West Side Story. And even mm -hmm. though it was still a few years away, mm -hmm. can you describe any of the similarities specifically to the song Something's Coming? Because that's the what it reminds me of. I wrote that down exactly, and that is exactly what my uh, director said about this, this oh, really? specific number. Yeah, because it plays into the, the, the idea of three very quickly, very bouncy one feel. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's definitely a great thing. Also, like the bursts of bling, 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 and then going into kind of like a very bouncy three. Um, uh, again, I would like to think about these two numbers again, back to back, a, ma a man's vision, a woman's vision, a man's vision about his career. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's also really, really funny. Yeah. It's nothing really special. Um, I think it's very chromatic. It, cr it goes through different keys, you know, as, as one show tune would, I think, from one to the other. But this one, again, has very similar structures. But as we go along within individual structures, we go up one half step for each individual key, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I think you were really right on the money when you described something's coming because as we were going into it, we talked about the sort of the feeling of like a – a very strong pulse on one, you know? Bottom, bum, bottom, bum, bottom. That's bum, a, yes, bottom, that's exactly bottom, what I was thinking. And that is exactly where he got something's coming from. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Makes you wonder if he had, uh, if he took this, since he wrote the song first, you think he took that pattern since he already used it and just tweaked it a little bit to give him something's coming. Right. 
great composers don't steal. They, um, they copy. <laughs> Is it Very also, true. There's From, also a great, they copy the best. A, if you don't mind me saying too, there's a really great line in here about, um, dreams. Mm-hmm. And, and also we talk about this too, with expectation versus reality. Right. You know, we expect to go far. Um, it might not always happen, you know, because of our drive or what we want, you know, and, and that's something that this Mr. Baker is saying, you know, I, I have this crappy job, you know, I work for a crappy paper company, not paper company for a, for a journal. I don't really do anything. And I'm lucky to have this job, you know, and he kind of talks about it himself. He's like, I don't even have a good job, you know, like I'm doing this right now, you know, and it's not great. Um, and, um, as we were talking about this, it really does a really great job of, because in the beginning, it was very orchestral heavy, very orchestrally heavy. It does a really great job with these yes. next few songs where it kind of just takes a step back and really lets the vocalists really shine into these character pieces, you know? And that's what these numbers mm-hmm. are for, because we get a bunch of individual song numbers by Ruth, we get Mr. Baker, and, and as we're going to go on to the next song, you get Eileen who, again, we get to understand who she is even more. Um, and I think these these small character pieces really shine on the actors themselves. And, we, and he does a really great job of highlighting the orchestra right away, taking them sort of away for a little while, and really shining in on the characters' qualities and their being, you know? Yep, very much so. The... Uh... Well, yeah, I mean, we'll talk about that later. But um, the, you mentioned the next. Well, I, I was going to make a point, but it, it, it's better suited to later. Um, oh, sure. The next song, since you mentioned it, is sung by Eileen, and it's called "A Little Bit in Love." That's right. And this is one of the two songs from the show to really sort of make it popularly uh, out in the recording world. I, I would say mm-hmm. this one is um, probably the most popular in terms of having other people record the song. Sure. Um, mm-hmm. And. What do you think makes it popular? What What do you we think people like about this song? Oh, um, lyrically, it's easy. It's not super complex. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't. It really sort of stays in two keys. It's not very um, chromatic. Mm-hmm. I think it's a very original so a show tune. I don't really think it's anything too special. I think it's mm-hmm. pretty normal. It does a really great job of defining relationships. Um, and especially it really does also show off the, um, the actor's ability to play with, right. Eileen, um, with Eileen's expectations of love, mm-hmm. which are very high. And I think, um, we learn a little bit about Eileen and her expectations of love through her belief that everyone's good. You know, there's a, there's a really great imagery and we see that later within her affecting other characters. You know, she sees yeah. that she's able to be this flighty because she has high expectations of other people, you know? Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that the, the concept of the song itself, you know, you mentioned it gives us, it describes relationships. It's not overly complex. It mm-hmm. features the vocalist. Those, mm-hmm. those three characteristics really haven't changed today. Right. I mean, if you have a song mm-hmm. that do those things, that song could very well become popular amongst mass crowds. Yeah, I, it's orchestrally and accompaningly, it's very easy. I don't think it's very hard. I think it's pretty simple. Um, very light orchestrations. You might have some... I remember when I played this, you play maybe three notes as a trumpet player. One, 
Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> that's it. You really yeah. It's really not one of it's really short and it's very cute and I think it, it's very um, very beautiful. Yeah, and I think it does a really great job with identifying um, the soloist rather than the orchestra in that mm-hmm. section because the orchestra <laughs> kills it at the end of the first act. But I know we'll get there soon. But this one especially really sort of exposes who Eileen is as a character, right? And really sort of almost puts her into a musical frame of um flutes very beautiful very sunny very happy you know and yeah almost like an annie's datura you know very yeah, that is it so weird that i was thinking of her while i was listening to this song no not at if all she's listening, think... that's not in a creepy way i <laughs> know i think it's i think it's a great because um you think about someone like that and um we can correspond her talents as also her personality you know and mm. um personalities can be really great um right. Uh, capture of of who they are within their musical identity, and I think Bernstein captures it perfectly. With yeah, small flourishes and just kind of beautiful music. Mm-hmm. Very true. <laughs> now, speaking of less beautiful music, uh, the next song is <laughs> "Pass the Football," sang by Wreck and the Villagers, which That's sounds right. like a, sounds like a uh, you know, late seventies, <laughs> early eighties group. You know, like Cool in the Gang. Um, wrecking, wrecking the villagers. Wrecking the it. villagers, you know. Um, who was that group? Oh, village people. That was a different one. Um, so this melody is all over the place. It's not linear at all, not very <laughs> stepwise at all. Yeah. And it's it has this repeating chorus that, that keeps going over and over. Why do you think he chose that? The the song is called Pass the Football. Why does he choose this sort of K is this very chaotic melody? to represent football oh. or is it more about the character or is it, I, it, maybe it could be both. Bernstein has very strong opinions on a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, I'm sure at this time he was like, these are what football players are like in my mind. Very, <laughs> very awkward, huge, you know, and he kind of plays with these very large intervals with like bottom it's just kind of all over the place and brain damaged and i believe that rex character is almost comedic in a way where it's just really funny you know and it's mm-hmm. just really ridiculous and kind of in your face and he's kind of like all over the place um it, it's I, I think it's a really funny aspect of the show mm-hmm. because because rex is kind of like the idiot in the musical. <laughs> He's you know? the village idiot singing right. with the villagers. That's right. And interestingly enough, one of my favorite parts of the song is right in the beginning when he's trying to say his own name and trying <laughs> to spell it out. And as he is trying to spell out his own name, he goes, R, sorry, he goes, R E Q, W R E C. W R E Q Rick. He doesn't know how to spell his own name. That um, is really funny. And what Bernstein does with the song is he makes him awkward, clumsy, kind of stupid, um, to the mm-hmm. point where like you believe this guy, like he might not even have a lot of talent as a player, you know. Very lucky, you know, that he's been able to do all these great things and yet he's not that it it, it almost Again, parodies the idea of sports players, you know, mm-hmm. where they're 
They're really good at what they do, but they're terrible at everything else. Right. And it's almost playing at that, and the music does a really great job of describing Rex's relationship with football. You know? Yeah. Um, it is and really funny. His name is Rex. <laughs> exactly. And he can't even spell his own name. You know, it's it's really funny. When I when I was in the show, I remember the guy who did it. He was hilarious. And every single show, he would try to spell his name differently every single time, but incorrectly. So he would be like, R Q E. <laughs> e R W R Q and it was hilarious and, and it killed every single time because it was different and it was enjoyable um and then when the music came around it was just really funny and um with all these it's really funny we get four straight character pieces that don't really have to rely on the orchestra but rely on the character solely that yes. rely on on the people around them but it relies on the one person um and w which really does a lot of really great work like it, it it comes around with all these different things and um characteristically musically we see so many different things from a span of you know one thing to another to another to another like we see ruth as the smart vigilant um very focused committed to to not being the stupid one right the um mr baker as the one who is not really complacent but has to deal with what he has you know that's his character we get eileen the flighty um believer of high expectations and love and we get wreck the stupid mm -hmm. idiot who plays football you know it's it's really <laughs> beautiful the way these all work out and it's kind of it's a really great moment for Bernstein to be like, we need to know more about these characters. So let's write these songs that help describe their characters and their timbre and their tone and what they look like, what they sound like, you know, it, it, it's really enjoyable as we're going through each individual song. It's, it's hilarious. And it's, it's great. And this number was just a lot of fun to play because you really got to play loud and brassy and in your face. And yeah. it was gross sometimes, you know, but it was fun, you know, it was, there are moments in these, like you, you get these really small moments in, in individual songs where you get really like, there's a, there's a part where you see Rec almost get to the point where he's starting to, to use great words and it's beautiful. And then snaps right back into like, bom, ba -da, bom, ba -da, you know, it, it, and then he gets into this March feel. It, 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 it's, it's incredible how many different kinds of musical genres that Bernstein moves from within this one song about yeah. the football going from him being very lucky and passing the football. And that's all he's really good at to wanting to do more. And, and actually we see the, the, like the really inner beauty of wreck. And then on the outside, then that's all people really want to see with him. There's so many layers of this one song, you know, and yeah. there's with the other songs because we can really go down and dissect each individual song, but it really just comes down to who they are as a character. You know, it's so yeah. interesting that that's the way that it works out. And then we, as they say, put all these people into one box and then we get this awesome, spectacular, awkward, terrible number, which I think is hilarious in my opinion. Yes, the the awkward number, which is next, <laughs> it, there's really no other word to describe it, is called the, conver or it's just called conversation piece. Sure. And it's 
Ruth, Eileen, Frank, Robert, and Chick. Yes. And it's just, it's painful. Like I was, it was painful to listen to because, and I was cringing for all of them because it's so awkward. And, and let me tell you why. These ostinatos that Bernstein places within the music are perfect mm-hmm. within silence. And um, if I can just sing it, the line, ba-da-dee-da, ba-da-dee-da, it, it's 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 so random. It's so beautiful, mm-hmm. and it, it is so ugly. And it, it's I'm sure we've all we've all fed this before. We we sit in a room and we see people we don't know, and we're like, um, "What are we gonna talk about? What are we gonna leave?" You know? <laughs> and it's awkward. It's terrible. And he does a great job of just making it chaotic and crazy. And we see all these different characters. Like we see Eileen try so hard. To make everyone laugh and feel at ease and feel comfortable, and she's like, "Nice people, nice talk." But you know, it's just she's 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 bringing to this vaudeville sort of like, you know, it's fine, it's all cool. We all know each other. We can be friendly with each other. And then there's all these people that are there, and they're like, "We don't know you. I don't want to talk to you." You know, and she gets this really <laughs> awkward conversation about a banana. You know. Oh um, yeah, that was I, the whole thing. Is like I'm sitting there and I'm listening to it, and I'm like, "Oh dear God, stop talking." <laughs> My favorite line is when the guy's about to say, built like a brick shit. But yeah. then it goes straight into, this dame was built like a brick. And it's just kind of like back to this original um, Christopher Street, the chaotic nature of not knowing what to say, not to knowing what to do. And they kind of get rushed into this situation feeling like they have to talk and they have nothing to say to each other. And, it's really hilarious. They talk over each other. They're singing, and then you hear <laughs> you hear Eileen singing these crazy operatic lines, just yeah. up and down, yeah. all over the place. And it's just like it's ridiculous. fine, it's fine. Yeah, and it's hilarious. It's like it, it. In my opinion, it is a version that Bernstein went to a Mozart aria, looked at, and said, "How can I make this terrible and awkward and weird?" And and it's it's almost like a, a quintet, just quartet, throw it in. and just throws it in there, and it's it is brilliant, and it, it is hilarious, and it's different, and because because we're really all we're really expecting them to be like, you know what, this is this is great, we're gonna go do that, and this is awesome, you know, but it's not. Expectations get thrown out the window, and it becomes the reality of all these people, like. What the freak are we going to talk about, you know? Yeah. Which mm-hmm. plays in contrast to the next song, which is mm-hmm. A Quiet Girl, which okay. is sung by Robert Baker. And the only thing I have to say about this is that I love its F7 opening. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just such a cool... Uh, I, I What's the word I'm looking for? The the It's a very rich chord. Mm-hmm. Sure. Has a, I find I f- always found the key of F to be very warm, but that's just me. I mean, I'm sure other people disagree. Yeah, I don't know what your feelings I think, are about. I think that's a really great observation because um, the key of F um, in Beethoven's time meant spring, meant nature. You know, there's almost like a a, a natural not na- well, that's not even a word natural <laughs> a natural <laughs> explanation of what this is like and. It is, it is very beautiful. Um, 
it, it, it is the first time where we get to really get into the neck deep of tenderness in mm-hmm. music. It is beautiful. The song is incredible. And what is Robert singing about? It's obviously not just a quiet girl. What is he referring to? Hmm. You know what? Um, a quiet girl. I believe that this is something that... You tell me, what do you think? I'm, I'm, I actually couldn't figure that out. Well, no, no, I don't, I don't mean in like a symbolic way. I mean, he's talking about like a... He's saying how he he wants the quiet girl, but you know that's not really what he wants. No, it's not. Right, and and obviously for those who are who know the show, it's obviously not where that's going. Right. But it's mm-hmm. as you said before. What the first thing that came to my mind was about expectations versus reality. That's right. Yeah, because everyone says that they want a quiet. And in that, and if that's the case, what are his expectations versus? Exactly. You know, he goes into thinking about what he thinks about love and then he leaves it without thinking about what, what is actually happening. And it's, it's, it's so beautifully written. The strings, like I said earlier on with the overture really do a great job of just glowing and just, just sort of being the guiding light for this number. It's it's just so beautiful. And like you said, F major is such a beautiful key. And I think it's just a great, you know, almost a pastoral key where it's so relaxing and it's just so beautiful and very lamentful too, where he's just kind of like, this is what I want. Mm -hmm. Really? You know, he's, he sees her and he says, this is, I really like you, but, but I also have this expectation of what I want, you know? Right. Which is interesting, right? Because you mentioned that in Beethoven's time, it was the representation of spring. You called it pastoral. That's very Mm -hmm. nature, you know? It's funny, they're from Ohio, right? And earlier we were talking about how Ohio mm-hmm. is the opposite of New York, where in this case, which is mm-hmm. calm and peaceful. So I wonder if he chose the key for that reason. Yeah. Well, I think you're right. The ideas of expectations versus reality is kind of really big in this. And you, we really start to dive deep into what do people want, really? And we really see how Robert wants to feel comfortable, but might not always want what he says, you know? Right. You know, it, it, it is hard because most people, when they listen to the songs, they're like, oh, Robert wants this. But in reality, you have to think a little deeper because Robert um, is a hard worker at heart. You know, he wants these things. He worked hard to get where he's at, you know, mm-hmm. at a crappy job now. But he's happy, you know. He he's happy to do the things that he can to to get where he wants to go, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which now we you completely throw all that out the window with the next song. <laughs> Not yes. even in the the state of mind. Yes. Probably the most well known song from the show. True. Uh, I wouldn't say it became popular like for recording, but it's definitely the most well known, and it is Conga, mm-hmm. which Conga. is Ruth and the Brazilian Cadets. That's right. And every time they do the conga, the music changes a little bit. Yeah, and yeah, talk a little bit about how it changes each time. Sure. Um, I, I honestly think it's almost like what a waste. Mm-hmm. It keeps getting interesting. It keeps getting more chromatic. It just goes up very slowly. Um, and then it really does build to the end, and it's insane. 
keeps adding more instruments. There are more dancers. Ruth is getting kind of overwhelmed by how many people there are. And she just she's just trying to get an interview because she had gotten a job offer. And they said, if you do this, then this is happen. But then Baker gets tipped off about it. And he's like, oh, God, that's terrible. And he runs after her to, to warn her about it. And it's a little bit too late because she's there talking to them. And um, it's, it's, it's crazy. You know, it's literally insane. And she goes to, to try to get this done. And it, it just on that. And it is great. It is a oh, wow. I'm, I'm losing my words for the song because it's really great. And it's just, it's the dancing in the song is so great. It's the conga from Cuba. People are dancing. Oh, Actually, I did re read it was actually invented in Cuba. Actually. Really? Interesting. Yeah. 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 Oh, so yeah. I, no, no, no. I'm sorry. Yes, the conga is from Cuba. The Brazilians in the, in the show wanted to learn how to do it. Right, yeah. Which is really interesting because they're Brazilian and they have their own um, their own taste in music, but they have this, this overwhelming love of dance, and I, I think that's kind of funny. Um, and where have we seen that before with, you know, immigrants who are interested in, in dancing and expressing their own feelings, right? right with West Side, West Side Story, yeah. Um, and that, that almost, almost feels like a, a connection to America in a way. Right. Um, and well, because, you know, how do you bring culture somewhere, right? You bring it right. with you through either food or dance or, um, and, and, you know, with this country having been so many different kinds of, uh, cultures, it's not surprising that like a group of Brazilians who just got off their whatever boat they were coming on, because um, I think they were coming on a boat, right? Um, right. Yep, that's right. I, it's not surprising they'd want to know something that was popular here that came from another country that they would have no idea about because they have samba in Brazil, but I'm sure at the time they didn't have conga. And there's also these really like incessant trumpet notes where they're like, it's just kind of like in your face and you play it until you can't play it anymore. Mm -hmm. so it, it, it is just so insane. The orchestra feels like they have to like fall apart, you know, in like a few seconds and they go, yeah. Oh dear God, I can't play anymore. That was yeah. me after act one because, oh, it, because the orchestra would then come back in such fast fashion and be like, here we are. We've never left, but, yeah. We're gonna play louder and so more aggressively now. Mm -hmm. and he does a great job with just kind of, I don't know how he does it, but he understands moments between soft and loud. And this one is a huge loud moment and he just kind of goes with it. You know, it's really interesting that that's yeah. the way things go with this. Mm -hmm. And another thing is a minor little detail. Uh, mm -hmm. They mentioned coffee in relation to Brazil. And we talked about that during how to succeed. That's that right. They they use the Latin rhythms for coffee, mm -hmm. um, even though obviously, you know, Brazil is not a Latin, you know, Latin American country. It's a, a Portuguese based country. Um, mm -hmm. But still, they, they made those associations back then. So I just thought that was a funny reference. Right. So my last question about this song is why is this the act one finale? Um, well, it kind of sets up different characters in different ways. Eileen, for some reason, has to go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. Um, uh, Ruth is really angry at, at Robert, um, and there's a little bit of a split between the two. Um, uh, we finally kind of see Ruth in action, and she's she's great. Mm -hmm. 
the cadets are brainless and they don't really know what they're saying. They're just kind of wanting to do something else besides answer those questions, you know? Right. Because um, I don't really think they understand English completely. And she keeps asking all these questions about, you know, Sikovsky's hands and different kinds of different, um, really American ideals that they might not even understand, you know? Right. Um, and they just keep dancing and dancing, ignoring her, and it just gets crazier and crazier, and it's, it's just really great. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. And with that, just like Act 1 finale ends Act 1, that ends the first half of this podcast. So we're going to take a quick break, sponsored by our friends at Anchor. But before we go, if you'd like to follow this podcast and listen to more of us prattle on and on about the things we enjoy talking about with people we enjoy talking to, um, remember that we are on Twitter at MusicSpeaks underscore pod. We are MusicSpeaks underscore podcast on Instagram, MusicSpeaks podcast on Facebook at music speaks underscore podcast on TikTok and music speaks podcast on YouTube. And with that, we shall be right back. All right. And we are back with act two of both the show, wonderful town and act two of this podcast. And before we start, I just want to make a quick little public, not even a public service announcement, I guess, shameless plug. If you'd like to support this podcast, please go to anchor and search Music Speaks Podcast to find ways to reach out to us. And you'll find our social media and ways you can contribute to said podcast. Now, with that, we shall move on to Act 2. And, Sean, the first major song of Act 2 is called My Darling Eileen. And it's by Eileen and the Policeman. And, you know, if I'm going to attempt an Irish accent, My Darling Eileen. I don't know. Darling Eileen. You're pretty close. And um, I so like that. to make the joke of "Come on, Eileen," because it's almost in that same no, kid. Um, <laughs> um, and you know, obviously, they're singing about how she makes them feel very Irish, or like they're you know, she makes them feel their Irish heritage because you know that was the stereotype was that cops were Irish because a lot of them were. And um, what are some ways he makes this song very characteristically Irish sounding? That's a great question. I just want to say, first off, I can't remember how she got arrested, but she does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it just happens. I don't know how it happens, but she does get arrested. And then the police officers just love her. Anyone mm-hmm. who meets her just falls in love with her, you know. Um, and it's great. Um, and like you said, the way that he does all these Irish things is there's sort of like this hymn or this chorale yeah. that he writes. Um, it's just, it's almost, uh, it's very beautiful, um, well written too, very kind of like, he, he definitely did his research when he was writing this song, um, a definitely a very chorale-like number, and then he gets into the jig, and something that you and I have maybe discussed about, like, why add a jig to a musical but it's funny it's supposed to be for the, <laughs> it's supposed to be the, for the comedic effect you know and um right and it really does add to the sort of like irish sort of fun aspect of the song you know back to the almost kind of like simple part back to the beginning right. of, of the number of how how just kind of simple it is and um I wrote down one of my favorite lines in this number, which is, um, 
Oh, it's uh, I've had enough of that Blarney. <laughs> <laughs> it's hilarious. The language used in this song um, is hilarious. Um, as we were talking earlier, I don't really think this is a um, a very specific um, orchestral number. It's very simple. It's not very complex. It's in itself. Um, we do get some more complex uh, musical um, parts later, um, but this is just kind of like a fun way to start Act Two. That way, we know it's not too serious. You know, she's fine. <laughs> she's talking to all the policemen in her cell. She's kind of hanging out with them. They're all in love with her. You know, they basically do anything for her. And it's that kind of joke. And um, like you mentioned, it's really great to sort of identify why this is Irish. And I, I put some key words down. I said spirited. It's mm -hmm. very spirited. It's very happy. It's very folksy, especially with that opening melody. Mm -hmm. um, it's also um, very, um, almost very folksy to the point where it follows the line very beautifully, um, and it's also very ad libbed too. A lot of the conductor actions are da 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 downbeat da 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 downbeat da da downbeat and downbeat da 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 it, it just it's it's it just follows that sort of form, and I think he did a really great a lot of research to to figuring out what actually works and, and what doesn't. He does a really great job in determining those those set of skills. Mm -hmm. So I think very true, especially for that. Um, hope that answers your question. It did. And now we move from one of the uh, more fun numbers to uh, a number that is still fun, but it's definitely one of the more intricate numbers, which is sure. swing. Mm -hmm. And this is sung by Ruth and the Villagers, which again mm -hmm. sings, you know, it's the, he, they're the uh, opening act for Wreck and the Villagers from earlier um, in, the, in our 80s lineup. And sw what, what do you have to say about this song? Because, you know, it starts with this very like recitative like vocals at the beginning mm -hmm. where, you know, there's actually no pitches written, it's just vocalizations. Right. Yeah. Or, well, there are lyrics, but well, um, Ruth um, is trying to get work where she can get it. You know, it's nice work if you can get it. Um, Ruth is just trying to make money, and someone says, "If you stand out here and you say these words and you get people to come inside my bar, I'll give you some money." That's basically <laughs> what she's trying to do. She gets some cash, um, and in this way, I, I wrote this down very ironically. I wrote, "Ruth learns to jazz." Mm -hmm. In a way, because it's um, a verb to jazz. she doesn't really know what it is, but she's going to try to do it because she's desperate, you know. And right. um, one of my favorite lines that's spoken in the beginning of the song, where she goes, "Check out that square," <laughs> because all these jazz <laughs> are around looking at her like she, she she has never done jazz in her life, and she's learning about jazz, you know. Um, yep, and. Um, Something that I really enjoy about this number is how the conversation of it works very well. You know, it's the 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 back and forth. You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is often what jazz is, right? A back and forth. It's it, jazz is also is often like a conversation. If you're in a a combo or a jazz ensemble, mm -hmm. it's meant to be uh, a back and forth. You're supposed to exchange ideas, right? Yeah. 
And there's a moment where, <laughs> again, uh, these lyric writers um, wrote um, my favorite dish, fish, gazootite. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Fish. Fish. Gazootite. It's, it's yes, they're a very, Comden and Green are a very clever right. writing team because they take these very offbeat, the um, rhythmic passages and they set rhyme scheme to them that wouldn't ordinarily sound okay, but the way it's written, it works. Right, and it, it's hilarious. And the orchestra comes in very, this is a very jazzy number, especially because yeah. this, the song is called Swing um, with an exclamation point. Um, so I, I, I think it's hilarious. And if, if you don't mind me asking you, um, did you think of a West Side Story number that reminded you of this at all? Yeah, this very much reminded me of Cool. Nailed it. Yeah, it's it's Nailed very it. much that same. Like, I would. There's not really a melody. Mm -hmm. it, it's really just a series of of vocalizations and sounds and snaps, and it's more about the vibe rather than the actual music. Right, right. Um, it, it, it's beautiful, and it's it's. It's wild, crazy. You know, it, it plays into that sort of like silly aspect of jazz that is almost kind of serious too. And I think this is a lot where he got his ideas for cool in right. that, the same vein. And it's really interesting that that's the way things kind of go. Um, um, and then we talk about organized chaos. Yes, very much so. As well, and the role that jazz has within that, and how things are all laid out over time. Jazz. Right, and, and something that is, is, is written out really well is that there's this sort of ostinato that each individual plays until it gets to this... And right before that, we get this line that goes... You know? And then it just rises up until this climatic park where everyone's dancing. It's crazy. And there's a part right before this where she's just scatting. And it's just voice percussion. It, it is so great. And like I said earlier with the zoom tight, fish, dish, dish, my favorite dish. You know, it's 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 so it's so great. And there's a line where she goes, And it's sort of like almost uh, a basic snare roll right. for, 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 a, for a basic jazz beat, you know? Mm -hmm. so that's something that, that they, they did. And um, if you don't mind me making a joke real quick, um, that's snake jazz. Sure. You know? I can't, I can't, I can't take credit for that. Um, but I, I think it, it's really funny the way that that is written out in there's a lot of, um, like I said, mouth percussion in it, and it's just fun. It's different. Um, and I think that's a great contrast from <laughs> an Irish jig oh, yeah. to jazz. You know, It's so interesting that the comparisons and the places that Bernstein is willing to go within different parts of this music. It's very passionate and awesome. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed getting to play both of those pieces differently, and it's awesome. So. Mm -hmm. Moving to a different kind of passion that it's contrasted by with the next song, which is called It's Love. Mm -hmm. 
and it's sung by Eileen, Robert, and the Villagers. Mm -hmm. And I noticed that this and the other love song, both of which feature Eileen, use a great many sharps, uh, whether it's in the key signature or whether it's in accidentals. And is there association, maybe that I'm not aware of, aware of with sharps and like tenderness? Or is this just like coincidence? Oh, it could be. Um, you can make an argument that because of the sharp keys, it's brighter. Right. That might be the aesthetic that Bernstein's going for. It's because of her character, her flighty attitude towards love. You know, it might mm -hmm. be that kind of aspect of the song that might be good. I think that's a great, great um, idea. Um, do you have any ideas why? No, I really couldn't think of anything. I was thinking maybe uh, along the lines of what you were saying, where, you know, sharps are the raising of the normal tone. So therefore it gives it this lifted sense. Um, but then I was thinking maybe he's just writing for that particular vocal type and maybe the sharp keys work better. So mm -hmm. it could be something as simple as that. Yeah, I think so too. It, it's definitely interesting. It's engaging and yeah. it's different. And I think it's a really great way for for these groups of people just to kind of come together. And um, in in this song, um, like we had with Quiet Girl, um, uh, we see the tenderness side of Robert. But we can't see him. And we actually finally see him like flip the switch on who he is as a character because he's He's wanting to, to sort of fly into the, oh, you know, it's going to happen, whatever. But then he, I mean, sort of pushes him to the brink where he's like, you know, I love this woman. It's love. You yeah. know? And he, it's really funny how he sings, it's love, it's love, it's love. Boom, boom. She goes, see you later. <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, maybe. It's love, it's love. You know, and, and, and he gets to this part where, um, again, the orchestra does play a role of backing off. Um, and uh, I have a really great story about this individual song where um, I got to play this in the show, but um, we were able to perform this at a concert outside of, um, of the, the, the theater department. And we got to play it in this huge building on campus um, called the A&E Center, where I went to at Ithaca College. And um, one of my favorite memories was my section leader, my friend Dan, he would say, let's just go for those notes. You know, it just would be so loud and glorious, you know. And I have, a, I had a really, I have found it, um, I was sort of hanging around, I run YouTube today, and I found the recording of us playing that. And I was like, that is hilarious. Because I was thinking about, that moment in the show where I got to play really loud because it's the moment where all these characters come together and they see how he's in love and it's a love boom, 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 boom. it's just it's it's crazy and it's loud and it's it's awesome and he just finally gets love you know he's finally yeah. like, you know I'm okay with not having a quiet girl in my life because I I like Ruth and she's not that you know and that's something that's okay and we really do also see that in the music where it's a little brash, but mm -hmm. sometimes love can be brash. Sometimes love can be kind of like in your face, you know, and that's how Robert finds his answer from a lot of different things. You know, he quits his job because he feels angry about 
what had happened with Ruth. And he goes to tell Ruth, and Ruth gets a different job, but um, I'm not sure why that arc has to happen. But I think it's interesting because um, it's, it's, it's just a very beautiful message of, of, of peace and, and the way that Robert is willing to put himself out there for, for who he wants to be. And he sees Ruth and is inspired by her, you know? Yeah, and, and and the music does transcend that in a way where he's like, "I love this woman," you know. Right. Those last four bars, I think, yeah. are just like incredible. You um, noted that really well, and because um, it's it's like boom, boom, beam, boom, beam. It's just well, really yeah. He has that. It's the vocalist, you know. It's love, you know. It, like he hits that really. Uh, surprisingly, I know in the recording it really right. No, surprised me because in the original, the original. Oh, sorry, I was I there was a lag. I didn't know if you were still talking. No, no, it's um, okay. No, I was going to say in the original recording uh, where Rosalind Russell played Ruth, he doesn't have that big jump at the end. Right, yeah. and in the Donna Murphy recording uh, from the nineties, he does. Right. So they gave him that like big, massive, like, uh, you know, revelation note where he jumps up. Right. And it's really interesting the way that it's written. If you don't mind me helping you break it down, just a little sure. bit, because he goes, know it when you see it. Well, I see it. I know it. Yep, that little. It, and it, it's again, back to that sort of like, huh? I know it. Yep. The accidental love. But of course, as a tenor or as 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 a baritone, you're like, fuck that. You want to go. <laughs> it's 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 crazy. Yeah. And there's an awesome recording that I will show you afterward that has that impact of of what he was looking for, and it's it's really beautiful and it's exciting and it's. It's very rousing, and a lot of people will want to get up and be like, "Yeah, he's in love." Yeah, yeah. you know, and it's it's awesome. You know, it, there's a lot of great feelings about wanting to do this thing, and um, I'll have to show you that um, that recording after we do this. But it's mm -hmm. it's very rousing, and it's awesome, and it's brilliant, and it's beautiful. So, yeah, definitely. Now moving to the next song, which is not quite so outwardly beautiful, uh, the ballet at the Village Vortex. Sure. You know, sure. As often happened in the 50s, there's always a dance interlude, and it, mm -hmm. and it usually comes uh, somewhere closer to the middle, though in this case it's act two. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And it, it's always like a featured, it, I mean, it's, you usually always call it the ballet sequence, whether it's in like Singing in the Rain did it, uh, West Side Story has it, this has it. Uh -huh. um, the you know it was a common feature in the 50s mm -hmm. and it happens to be and it's usually also very interpretive it's like it's it's not just like a like a ballroom dance scene it's usually some sort of uh abstract or modern well for the time modern dance number with ballet feature in it and why do you think uh he chose it to be one of the more dissonant numbers um, I almost think it of as kind of a sleazy bar, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that could definitely be the case. I think it is. Um, there, are, like I wrote down, a lot of hemiolas present in this number. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, I wrote down real jazz, you know, it, it's just kind of like, it's a little slimy, but it's kind of like really dirty and it's dusky and it's kind of dark, you know, it's real and it's kind of sexy too, in, in a way. And, um, and it really has this very slow, mean jazz attitude, you know, as being it's the note in the score is blues right, right? so you're you're making the transition from jazz that we had in every other number and now specifically he wants to hear the blues which we hadn't previously heard in the show at all right and it, it, it's almost like where he's like you gotta get really grainy with it and i find i think really like about like like very serious Miles Davis, you know, it's just kind of like really serious Miles Davis. This is really like in your face, and it's just kind of like there. And I wanted to because I wrote down a lot of different great things. Um, the clarinet in this number is incredible. Um, I wanted to get your take on it because it gets really high, very low. It goes around a lot of the place. What was your take on that? Um. It was, it's, it's very, like you said, gritty. I mean, that's sort of the best way you'd describe it. I wouldn't call it like pleasant sounding. Um, <laughs> it, it's meant, I think, to be very sultry, like you said, but at the, but at the same time in a sort of, I, I don't want to repeat your words, but you said in like a sleazy way, like usually like the clarinet can be sultry to be alluring or enticing or like <laughs> meant to show like, uh, you know, uh, the sex appeal. This mm -hmm. is sort of meant to do the same thing, but I get in a, in more, in a less pure sense, in a more like, I don't want to say dirty way, but sure, mm -hmm. why not? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a little gross too, but it's yeah. almost kind of like, but it's, it's really alluring and it's, it's just kind of like, you know, people are in there, it's kind of shady, they're not looking at each other, it's kind of dark, you know, um, and all these people are in the club, and I think um, at this part, Baker's looking for her, and he's like, "Where is she? Where is she?" You know, and uh, and then it's, <laughs> it's just really crazy. And the clarinet really does play a role of this kind of like um, I feel like in the way the clarinet is almost like a solo dancer, like the, the mm -hmm. shines on one individual person, and it kind of plays around that kind of like sexy, sleazy part of the jazz that we might not always see, but it's 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 real, it's raw, you know, it is and it's distinctive, you know, and I think it's a really beautiful aspect of of the song. And I really did like this number and it really does feature the the um the jazz band side of the Yeah, definitely. The two, yeah. Which you know, so you mentioned obviously jazz, we've talked about you know the the obviously straighter jazz. We've now talked about the the sleazy side of jazz, the more raw jazz. Now we're going to move on to an early form of jazz mm -hmm. um, with the wrong note rag. Sure. Which you know the rag with ragtime at by the '30s would have been mm -hmm. a, a rather well known genre. It would have already have been considered older by then. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as. Uh, controversial by the 30s because you had a new form of, of you know, a swing coming out now. And that was the big bad, you know, like uh, uh, devil-inducing music. So um, they say that the wrong note makes them sing and dance in the song. Uh, is this like a commentary on, on ragtime sounding funny or is it like, what are they referring to? What, what about the wrong note, quote unquote, makes them dance? 
it it's very playful. Mm-hmm. I think it's very playful. It's very jumpy. Um, I think it's the hemiolas that are in there, and um, the rhythms are very intricate. And I think the rhythms drive the the dance and drive the um, the kind of the excitement of of what's happening. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, with with the way Burnstone wrote for vocalists, he intentionally had them sing uh, in a minor second against one another in the same voice range. Yeah, that was something that really stood out. It is hard. It is very hard to do so. I mean, it, it does resolve right where it's a point where it gets into seconds and then thirds. It's a little easier that way. But it's probably one of the toughest songs to perform just because of the dissonance and the rhythm. And um, it took me a little while also to understand the rhythm of the battle do da do you know it 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 does find a way to sort of skim between the two but it's it's really hard and um this one is kind of like the last hurrah for the orchestra in a way to sort of play around with its you know ways of ability and and fun you know and it's it's different and it's loud and it's soft and it's different and it's just it's kind of corny and it's i think it's kind of a cute way to sort of almost end act one but not just yet you know mm-hmm. you mean act two? Oh, right act two yeah um, and yesteryear go ahead <laughs> but speaking of the ending of act two we mm-hmm. finally get to the Act 2 finale, which is the end of the show, and it's the reprise of It's Love. Right. Um, and some one thing I want to know is that Bernstein does this a lot, I find. Well, I say a lot. I mean, he does it in West Side Story also. Unlike other composers, he doesn't really write a finale number. There's no number labeled finale that like is almost a second overture where the other songs come back briefly. He chooses one song, the reprise, changes it, and makes it, the end of the show. Yeah, he he wants to end it. it. It's it's pretty obvious that he's like, oh, I want to go home. Is over. Let's finish. It. <laughs> well, right. It's not just that though. I mean, like he doesn't choose to recap any of the other music. It's just the last song is "It's Love." That's it. There's no like we're gonna go back to conga or whatever and put them all together. We're not gonna like you know shimmy out. Yeah. Uh, he's been pretty mean to these orchestral players up until that point. Yeah, so it's probably a good idea just to end it that way. Just yeah, just to end it on a quiet note, so, mm-hmm. which leads to my question, which is why is this the song that he chooses to end with? It's hopeful. Mm-hmm. I think it's also pretty powerful that um, that Baker comes to this situation where he doesn't really know how to answer his problems, and then he comes to Eileen, and Eileen gives him the solution. Mm-hmm. Eileen was the answer for the whole time. Eileen was the the ideal of saying like there are good people out there there are people who are going to help you and give you hope in your life eileen is one of those people you know and i think that that is a really powerful message of just believing in love and believing in the message of of community you know and it's hard um and it's hard to live in new york city alone and they've (laughs) they've done that for a little while you know And, and it's very un it's unimaginable but now that they've had that comfort and they've had that community and they meet their friends and they meet their colleagues and they're able to do all these different kinds of things, they understand that 
this is the path that they're going to go down, you know? Yeah, definitely. And now let's just take a quick look at these last four bars. Uh, what is the, what are the, what's the chord progression here? Last four bars of the chord progression. Sure. So we are in the key of E major. Mm -hmm. um, and as we are making our way out, I am more than positive. Let's see here. B, B, G sharp. It's I see. We see it. We know it. It's law. It's law. Boom, 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 boom. Some sort of uh, two, five sort of almost in a way he does that same thing again where he naturalizes all these d's in a row mm -hmm. and he makes this um f sharp f sharp mm -hmm. e a c d almost in a way almost like a uh a very chromatic progression to the next section which then you see there f sharp uh d sharp a f sharp d sharp f sharp c sharp d uh, da, da, da. Okay, um, it's more of an extension, I guess. It, it's it's sort of like a very strong uh, five of five of some kind, and then he reaches the end, and I think it's just a very beautiful way to sort of end out the uh, the song. Yeah, definitely. All right, very cool, Sean. Thank you so much for your uh, insights into the music of Leonard Bernstein and his wonderful town. Thank you for having me. Of course. We couldn't do it without you, quite literally. <laughs> All right. See you. See you. Thank you very much, Sean. Next time on Music Speaks, we'll talk with Brandon Law, a hip-hop artist, about some of his own music and musical background. So that's it for me. I'm Hunter Sagona. Now I'm Sean Amkunis, and keep listening to what you love. <laughs>